yo, yo, what it do, what it do. It's your boy, Yellow the Poet, and I am here with Mr. Greg Wheating. Mr. Greg Wheating is one of my guests. He is actually someone who actually does healers, and he's actually a leader, an entrepreneur, and I love it. So he actually talks about um, healing with anxiety, depression, and chronic pains, and trauma. I am looking forward to this interview, Mr. Gray. Thank you so much, and welcome to YTP Entertainment. Thanks for having me. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. So, I am curious. Um, can you elaborate more on the things that you do? Yeah, you know, I I work with a lot of leaders and entrepreneurs who. I'm kind of hitting that place of burnout, that place of overwhelm, that place of emptiness. So um, folks with a lot of purpose, um, you know, made of purpose, but lacking fulfillment. Um, and I'm just kind of hitting, hitting the end of the road from leading from a trauma response. Okay. And so I kind of come in, come in to, yeah, help, help address the trauma patterns um, that are kind of leading to the anxiety and the depression, the chronic pain, the overwhelm. Oh, wow. Okay. So does, is that sometimes what helps people become suicidal? Are those some of the symptoms for that? Um, I mean, suicidal ideation can certainly be, yeah, a part of it all. And, you know, it's like, I'm working to kind of address, yeah, the, the, the traumatic imprints that you know, people have organized their identity around and the identification with the pain and the wounding. And so, so much of healing is creating space to kind of tease out who we are um, and dissolving the identification with the hurt. You know, I think the mind training of healing is to reorient from pain to possibility. Um, and so um, that's a big piece, especially with folks who yeah, their pain is leading them towards suicidal ideation, for sure. Wow, I can definitely understand that in some instances. Um, I want to share an experience that I had with you, and maybe you can elaborate on what was going on around that time, because this is something that you kind of deal with on a regular basis. Um, I was uh, approximately 12 or 13 years old, and I'm originally from Chicago and there was this guy he was actually standing on the opposite side of the um, railing for where the highway the expressway was and I happened to just be walking past and probably I believe I was on my way to like one of the restaurants on the opposite side and the guy he actually was standing there getting ready to jump down on the expressway and if he had made that jump on the expressway he would have definitely ended his life because there was so much traffic out during that time so long story short i got to talking to him and when i got to talking to him he was asking me he's like so what do you know you're so young you don't know anything about what's going on so i literally climbed over on the opposite side and i got to talking to him about his situation he was explaining some things about what was going on at home and how he dealt with the situations at home 
and it was a lot of um in my opinion it was a lot of blame that was actually going on when he was talking about his family he was blaming them for why he started feeling the way that he was feeling he was blaming them for not doing things blaming his wife for not doing things but i would ask him how much time did he spend with his family and he looked at me funny and he was like you're such a young guy how do you even know to ask these questions so it, it's like it kind of took his mind off of wanting to jump and he wanted to understand more about how i knew to even ask him certain questions about him getting ready to commit suicide it turned out that he didn't end up committing suicide the police were there and we both ended up climbing back over together and the next time that he saw me he was really thanking me very hard for saving his life <laughs> that's incredible well i mean my hack goes off to you to take the time to to show that level of care right um i think i think adverse experience inference as trauma when we don't have support and care when we feel isolated and alone so there's a lot of alienation that happens with trauma and we repair the healing happens when someone reaches their hand out and then we don't have to carry that burden alone and so that's that's what you afforded him right so he no longer had to carry that burden on his own which then is signaling to his system his body his brain his nervous system that what was overwhelming on his own maybe is uh, possibly manageable with someone by his side right and so um so just yeah what you shared is just really beautiful i think that signifies just such a the most critical part of healing is <clears throat> the relational field right between people because we're we're not meant to heal in isolation, nor are we meant to live in isolation. Um, you know, the other piece, just, you know, the, the blame, right? Like when we have wounding, you know, we have been victimized. And I think healing is tending to the parts of ourself that have been victimized, naming victimization. And in doing that, it's like, processing the emotional impact of how we've been victimized mm -hmm. but a lot of us don't have the resources or support to do that we haven't been taught how to do that so then we carry the burden of the victimization and then it becomes part of our identity right then we live out our lives as the victim um, so having the support to process victimization to name it to speak it uh, then helps us no longer be a victim right and so then we can start to derive more meaning um, and significance from these adverse traumatic experiences without carrying the residue uh, or the impact you know for into the into the future mm -hmm. so i ask you can you elaborate a little bit more on when you stated the the residue, I I get it, but for my audience, can you elaborate a little bit more on, on the residue? Some of the things that people carry. Sure. 
I mean, physically, that could be tightness in chest, right? That could be the chronic pain. That could be the digestive issues. That could be the knot in the stomach. You know, that could be the migraines, the headaches. That could be sleepless nights. Uh, that could be restless legs, you know, so that can show up physically. And, you know, I can keep counting the ways. Yes. Um, behaviorally, it could be kind of that hypervigilance, right? Uh, always on guard. Um, really not being able to trust or lean on others, right? Having, being suspicious of everything and everyone, um, you know, always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it becomes, you know, we're very, we're very adaptive, right? So we develop highly sophisticated adaptations to stress, Um and they work until they don't, right? Because often those maladaptations to stress are gonna keep pointing us to feeling more alone, more isolated, and continue to kind of create this self-fulfilling prophecy that the world is unsafe, you know, we, we can't trust others. Um, and so then we just kind of keep burying ourselves into a hole. Um, but the repair experience, right? You offered that person a repair because all of a sudden they, they are now being shown that maybe someone does care and maybe they can lean on someone's shoulders, yes. right? And yes. so then each time we have a repair experience, you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're learning something new because the lie of trauma is we can't, danger, you know, unsafe, you know, nothing's possible. And the truth is actually there is possibility there is safety um there is connection yes yes indeed there is connection so it would be it would be would it be safe to say that um the connections between us and our subconscious um would definitely be something that could be misconstrued because sometimes people think that they're listening to their subconscious when they're actually only listening to their own ideas about how to do something or what to do or what not to do. Yeah, I mean, I think most of what we think and believe is beneath the surface, right? So I think we have an idea of what we think and what we believe. Um, uh, the majority, I mean, the subconscious and unconscious mind are kind of like, you know, the conscious mind is the tip of the iceberg and the subconscious unconscious mind is what the surface, right? And that's, that's the emotional, mental content, the beliefs and the behaviors that literally are stored in the body, right? So then that becomes kind of the costumes and the masks that we wear that are, you know, often organized around Yes. you know, our ability to survive in the world, right? You know, there's like a natural rush of life to develop enough of a sense of self to function in the world. Mm -hmm. So we can build up, you know, these identifications about who we are and who we need to be in order to survive. But a lot of that then incorporates like the parts of us we feel like we need to hide because if we show certain parts of ourselves, we may not get our needs met or then parts that we need to perform in order to get our needs met. Yes. Um, and I think that's just part of human development, but I think we reach a point 
when you know more of a spiritual practice is to kind of the posturing and the hiding so there's just more space to just be who we are right. and you know i think that inquiry is um, a process of discovery which is a big part of healing as well oh my goodness when you say a process of discovery i i kid you not that kind of gave me chills a little bit because <laughs> There are a lot of things that even through research, we discover things, we take the time out to do self-preservation and we discover things. And some people really don't understand how strong and how powerful that magic is to do self-preservation and discover new things about oneself. They really don't get the process. And to me, I think it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal when you can actually sit down and pay more attention to yourself and understand yourself. And that way, when someone prejudges you, then you can say, uh, okay, yeah, maybe I, I give off that vibe or no, nah, maybe they just misunderstand me. <laughs> so I ask you, um, why is trauma our greatest liability? You know, I think, I think trauma, if we're carrying, if we're carrying the costuming of trauma, if we're carrying the guarding, the protecting, the protective mechanisms, it's really going to limit what's possible in our lives. You know, it's, it, it um, kind of narrows in our window of tolerance. So we have less of a capacity to navigate, you know, the full range of human experience you know we lose access to our upper brain right so we're going to be defaulting more to our survival brain right and that's going to make it harder for us to get our basic needs met but it certainly then short circuits kind of more of that realm of discovery of like personal discovery of fulfillment of purpose um right it just kind of is keeping us more in this reptilian brain which is just very limited um, you know, it kind of keeps us in the trenches um, and, you know, very narrow view, not able to see out to the horizon. Uh, <laughs> that's funny you mentioned reptilian. The <laughs> uh, reason why I say that is because I did some um, studies about reptilians, but it wasn't about, um, I would say it wasn't about the reptilians that we encountered here on the planet it was more so about extraterrestrials <laughs> and that was funny because a lot of times they talked about how reptilians or what the bible called the serpent has um taken many different forms and caused humanity to do all these wicked or negative things i'm not 100 percent certain that that is an actual fact but I do know that some people feel that it exists. And when you say that, that's what it made me think about. <laughs> so um, how do we turn pain into purpose? I, well, when I, when I, yeah, well, and just to kind of a side note off of what you shared. So when I reference reptilian brain, I'm referencing literally our survival brain, right? So we have our cortex brain, which is, more of our ability to have like rational logic, right? Our limbic brain, which is more our ability to kind of 
access emotion and memory and pleasure and reptilian brain is just organized around survival so you know when we're at the effect of trauma we have just lost our ability to have you know that upper brain cognition of reason um, and and that's gonna that's gonna come at a big cost oh trust me um, I, I get it because i majored it i took psychology for four years so I do get it. It was just funny when you mentioned the word reptilian. Some people may they may get where you're coming from, and I get it where you were coming from. But then you got some people who probably were thinking on a whole nother level. So that was the reason why I even brought that up, just so people can understand that that's not exactly where you were going. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha, yeah. <laughs> but it's funny. It's funny though, because a lot of things people can take and use them by association to help them remember things but then there are some things that people have no knowledge of so what do you associate that with when you don't really have any knowledge of it there's nothing no. there <laughs> well and you know and if we're living at the you know if we're living at the effect of the reptilian brain you know we're that much more likely to perpetuate cycles of harm right you know like the adage that hurt people hurt people right and so it's like, that's when we see patterns of harm perpetuate generation upon generation. Cause it's like, that's the template we know. So we just continue to replicate that template. Exactly. So I think that's why healing is really a subversive act because it's really helping to short circuit that cycle and kind of create a new template of possibility. Um, and kind of back to your next question around like pain to purpose. I think, I think that's, when we mine the gold of unresolved trauma, it, it, it can kind of help us cast a light on a new possibility. And, you know, I was just speaking to some of my students in my community and I, I look at purpose is really locating purpose from a place of, of being, you know, I think a lot of, I think purpose has become kind of a buzzword and uh, a lot of people are looking for their purpose right now. And I think a lot of people are looking for their purpose externally right they're looking for their purpose outside of themselves and that's the wrong place to look yes. um, and so i find the most meaningful purpose is located inside of ourselves and it's emanating from who we are so it's not our purpose isn't what we do it's who we are mm -hmm. and that it, that becomes the most informative energy and and in my book, that energy then becomes a healing force for good, um, yes. you know, and it's like us locating kind of our unique place. You know, I just think if we like look at the cosmos, like, you know, each star has a place in, the, in a constellation, yes. right? So it's understanding our, it's understanding where we are located in the, and um, that helps us find a lot of meaning and significance, but all we have to do is be ourselves. And I think that's burdening and learning of healing. Mm -hmm. That's true. Kind of being. I totally agree. I totally agree with you. <laughs> I totally agree with you. So is there ever a point where, our, where trauma being our greatest liability and, um, um pain is there a point where those two meet and they can actually 
serve us a purpose more so than to help us to defeat ourselves. Because <laughs> that's the way I look at it is that we more so defeat ourselves. We don't allow others on the outside to be to defeat us. We pretty much defeat ourselves internally before anybody can do it to us. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what comes down to having the right support structures, the right support systems in place. Um, so that we can, we can derive meaning from the most adverse experiences, and they can then become uh, informative, right. And I think there's a lot of metabolizing and synthesizing of life experience that needs to take place for us to then derive some wisdom from those lived experiences. Um, sorry for my street noise. Um, and so, you know, and that doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen in isolation, right? That happens through, you know, community. Missing link, you know, mental health these days is we kind of have a lot of a one-on-one -on -one model where we're not looking at kind of the larger fabric of society. And I think there's so much stigma around mental health because, you know, I think that we can look at anxiety and depression and trauma perhaps as like healthy responses to an unhealthy world. Um, but that's not how the individual usually sees it when, you know, each of us is experiencing the effects of trauma. Um, you know, our, our culture often tells us that something's wrong with us. And, you know, we, ha we, don't, we haven't developed a culture that creates enough space to allow us to be with our pain. And, to, you know, we're, we just keep rushing over it. We keep rushing over everything. So there's not, you know, so healing is making an intentional, you know, sanctuary space to be with it. You know, like really honor the impact of although there's something universal about pain, you know, there's, you know, unique experience in life based on our identities that um, we can have to. That is so true. That is so true. So do you think that at some point the doctors would be able to go inside of our brains and just take out all of the negativity and and take out all the thinking about pain and then so so our heads back up and then we'll be fine after that no i'm just kidding <laughs> i'm just kidding. I, I, that's not how that works um but i mean that's that's what's happening in the realm of trauma and neuroscience you know how i work with trauma, neuroscience, and somatic and mindfulness-based practices in energy medicine, you know, it literally is rewiring the brain, right? Neuroplasticity, you know, first we have to derive a sense of safety and we have to let the nervous system land so we can feel a sense of okayness within ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and once we locate that, then we can start to rewire neural pathways. You know, it's like our own imagination literally creates the structure of our brains which then creates the structure of our lives. Mm -hmm. uh, not to say that we're in control of everything, but we have incredible power and influence over ourselves and you know how we navigate the world. Yes. You know, you can argue that the hand has been dealt to us, but how we play that hand is very much you know up to us. 
Yeah. And so, you know, neuroplasticity, a big part of healing is like flipping the script, like rewriting the narrative because so many narratives are just running on default, mm. right? From the impacts of early development and lived experience in early development. And we just default as if these narratives are true. Many of these narratives we're not even conscious of. So healing helps to let the dust settle so we can first become aware of these narratives and then we can start to challenge them. Is that true? Um, what if the opposite were true? And what might that feel like? And then we can start to tap into the feeling of possibility, which then starts to create a new neural pathway. And so that's, you know, that's how we can become an active participant in becoming masterful with our words and with our thoughts and aligning that with our values and our actions. Um, so we find more empowered alignment in how we, you know, navigate the world. So at, at some point, does our endorphins play any part in that? If so, how? I mean, I, all of our hormones, our hormones, our neurotransmitters are completely linked to our behaviors, our beliefs, right? And so what I love about working with energy medicine, so, you know, a traditional model of therapy would say that people process top down or bottom up. So some people need to, you know, grok something intellectually for then it to kind of trickle down and make sense in the subconscious, you know, within the body. Other people process more in the body. They need to figure something out and feel it in their body. And then the light bulb goes off in their brain and they like have the clarity. They see the light. Okay. With energy medicine, say that again. I said, okay, okay. <laughs> so, you know, with energy medicine, things are patterning, not just top down, bottom up, but through crisscross pathways, through all the connected tissue and fascia. So it's like we can repattern a thought and then that may have a trickle effect on hormones and neurotransmitters that then have a shift on a behavior and a belief that was stored in a tissue or an organ that then impacts physiological function. And it has a cascading effect on the whole system. Um, you know, so, so absolutely. Our, our endorphins, uh, you know, going to play a role in this? Absolutely. And, you know, every hormone, how can they not, right? And so um, we don't necessarily, you know, just like in, a, in the world of mental health, we often hear that, you know, brain chemistry, you know, there's a chemical imbalance, right? And the chemical imbalance is what's causing, you know, depression. It's like, that's actually not been proven. And, you know, but we spend a lot of time just treating the, the chemical imbalance. And it's like, well, what, what are the factors that are causing the chemical imbalance? Instead of, because the chemical imbalance, we can just look at that as actually a symptom. That's just the tip of the iceberg. So energy medicine helps to look at the web of causative factors that are beneath that, which often is organized around trauma, the beliefs and the behaviors organized around trauma and how that then impacts physiological function, you know, digestive function, you know, and our ability to think clearly. So working with that web helps to kind of restore, you know, a, a new state of balance, a new state of nervous system regulation, and then the body can heal itself. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of times when we're looking at the body healing itself and 
the medicines that are being taken in order to help with the healing process how is it that that what is it what type of signals or waves or neurons are the medicines sending to aid in a bed our um our system on natural healing how is it how is it that the medicines aid in a bed that I mean, how I work is I don't work with medications, so that's not my wheelhouse. Uh, How I work. What I mean, I'm sorry. What I mean, what by you were saying it, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I just make sure that I'm I'm clear in my question. When you say you work with the the energy medicines, right? Mm -hmm. So how do how does those aid in the bed our natural healing process? Yeah. So if you think of the body as like a symphony orchestra, every organ, every hormone, every tissue, every muscle, every cell, every memory, every thought, every emotion, every behavior, they're all vibrations. And when we're experiencing health, all of those vibrations are in a harmony orchestra that we are. Mm-hmm. is making music, right? There's a musicality of being, there's a harmonic resonance. So disease and illness comes in when there's, you know, stress, trauma, environmental allergens or toxins, toxins in our foods, intergenerational trauma. And that starts to create interference patterns. You know, it short circuits the nervous system. It breaks down communication between all the different parts of the body, which are noise. So you know, energy medicine helps to clear up the noise. So there can be more of a harmonic resonance between these different parts. So instead of treating individual parts as if they're isolated, right? Oh, let's just treat the chemical imbalance or let's just treat, you know, the kidneys. If you have issues with your kidneys, it's like, well, all these parts, when they are in a healthy communication with every other part, they're their health can start to rebound, right? Their function start to optimize. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, energy medicine is focused more on the relationship between all of the parts and helping them come back online in wholeness. And, you know, wholeness is then when we no longer feel split within ourselves. We no longer feel fragmented. We feel more established in, yes. you know, and unified. Yes. How long has... Um energy medicine has been in effect. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure the discoverer of them came long before the active use of it. So how long has it been in effect? Um, that's a great question. I don't have, I don't have the answer to that. Um, you know, I know body talk is one form of energy medicine that I practice, and that was probably developed over 25, 30 years ago. Um, Reiki is a form of energy medicine that has been around for hundreds of of years, you know, in deep with the laying of hands and just working with energy and consciousness from the beginning of time, but, you know, new understandings in, you know, the quantum world are helping us to kind of have more of a scientific understanding of energy, right? Um, and so uh, it's, a, it's a growing field, and yet, you know, 
if we overlay kind of a lot of different understandings from spiritual practices, you know, we're just connecting back to the essence of who we are. So I'd say, you know, many of the world's spiritual traditions, you know, indigenous cultures had a lot of this wisdom, right? That was just steeped in culture, that was steeped in uh, tradition. And, you know, a lot of what we're finding today is both reclaiming that, but also kind of codifying it with new scientific understanding. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's both very old and new. <laughs> Understood. And I like that. I like that a lot because you're taking something old and adding something new to it, which is innovating what was then to now. And I love that. I love those types of things. You you mentioned something. Um, you mentioned the quantum um in the quantum realm how the how is that um coming together with what we know today how is that working with the natural energy how is that working because i've never i mean i understand i never understood it from a medical standpoint <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, I'm not here to speak from a medical standpoint. Again, I think the essence of healing is not treating with medicine, which often suppresses symptoms or chases symptoms. I look at energy medicine as helping the system express health. So I look at, you know, disease and illness as stagnation and health as expression. And so, and I, I'm not going to fully geek out on the quantum. I'm just kind of touching upon and referencing that there's new understandings from, you know, the quantum world that are helping, you know, create a broader understanding of energy medicine. Um, but I love the idea of just zero point field, which is like a balance of positive and negative charge, which can be likened to the absolute, which is where like all information of the universe is present, right? And where where you know that positive and negative charge balancing in a place of neutrality that's like when we then neutralize the charge of our beliefs of our triggers of our you know and that that brings us into like a crystal clear place of clarity and us into a state of flow and of presence and power and that and that's where that's where there's a um uninterrupted understanding of like the truth of who we are right and so again that's where i feel like the quantum and the spiritual war worlds kind of meet but it's a, a a deep place of presence yes i love it i love it I, i'm i just <clears throat> let you know that excuse me i'm very happy with what you're doing because natural energy i know that natural energy has been around for a long time and I know that there's not a lot of people in this world that's actually practicing um, the natural energy, the natural medicines, as opposed to using these peel forms of things that some people seem to think that that's actually um, helping them to, to feel better. There may be some form of sensation there, but to me, natural has always been better. It doesn't matter um, 
how long you may think that it takes it's there's no quick um, resolution to anything especially when someone needs to create a balance in their lives create a balance in their bodies there's no one two three okay now it's working you have to gain the consciousness the understanding the information you have to get all these things before you even know how it's going to react to your body you have to understand that without the natural there isn't really too much else that you can actually do and that's just how i feel about it do you do you feel that with natural energy and um the human body that those two have to collaborate together at some point in order for there to be that balance yeah i mean how there's no way for us to express health without being in alignment with ourselves right and so that starts with the nervous system and you know so and but i'm also there's no one right or wrong way i have plenty of clients that are dependent upon you know pharmaceutical drugs right and so uh, i'm not here to interfere with you know anyone's path of how they're managing their health some people based on their life circumstance have grown dependent upon certain medications and yet i've helped numerous clients either eliminate or, or lessen their dependence mm -hmm. and you know uh, synthetic hormones as their body has reclaimed you know its own capacity to heal right but um you know so they can be complementary and integrative it doesn't have to be one or the other and it can't be one or the other when folks health has been has deteriorated so greatly that they have then become dependent dependent upon certain medications but the problem is when people think their dependence on medications is the only is the only route right the only answer and you know when they learn that there's other avenues to help the system recalibrate and heal um, then a lot of other possibilities start to emerge yes so does does meditation play a part in this yeah, mindfulness, you know, so I kind of, I work with both trauma and neuroscience, which kind of gives people a roadmap for healing to kind of understand, you know, the lay of the land. And then I work with somatic and mindfulness-based practices, which give tools to kind of shift our orientation from pain to possibility, to dissolve identification with trauma and wounding, and kind of shift an understanding of self that is dynamic and ever-changing, right? Because the imprint of trauma can become pretty static and rigid and fixed, and yet the experience of life and health is very dynamic and ever-evolving and changing moment to moment. So who we are is ever-evolving when we're not organized around pain. So yeah, the mindfulness, the meditation, the somatics help to orient to that possibility, to that change, to that growth mindset, for sure. Oh, awesome, awesome. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I totally love it. So, okay. Um, in this um, shift 
from the pain that some of the people that you've worked with experienced to the healing process um what are some of the things that you've noticed that they go through in terms of the emotions the physical as attributes in their lives what are some of the things that you notice in that transition i mean a big piece of it is reconciling pain right it's like because actually although people may come to me because they're in pain they actually they're the pain the cycle of pain is perpetuating because they have yet to actually learn how to fully be with it and reconcile it and make sense of it so i think healing is very much a process of making sense of pain by learning how to be with it by learning how to not fight against it by learning how to not run from it and by learning how to not identify from it then we can start to actually process the impact that you know traumatic experience painful adverse experiences had on us and then we can start to gleam a lot of wisdom from that so that's kind of in a snapshot kind of how healing can happen through this work so okay another thing um let's say for example um a person has a has a headache and they don't know exactly where that is coming from what are some of the things that you take them through in order for them to identify where that headache is coming from yeah so my process is again it's more breaking up the interference patterns that have short-circuited communication between the different parts of the body um and you know, one person's headache may be, you know, short circuits that came about through, you know, a physical injury where another person's headaches and migraines might be, you know, some short circuits that came across through developmental trauma, through neglect, you know, another person's migraines might be coming from a lot of shame someone else's migraines might be because their nervous system you know is always defaulting to fight flight creating like this excess heat in their energy so it's looking at each individual so there's no cookie cutter approach when it comes to healing but you know in a lot of other models to healing that migraine or that headache is getting treated the same way for every patient and if it doesn't work then, then they default to the next treatment plan and then default to the next treatment plan. Right. It's just kind of like throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping it sticks, right? <laughs> so, you know, my approach to healing is, okay, let's see what's beneath your migraine, right? Let's see how your body wants to resolve this. It's not a one and done. It's not a quick fix. Um, and it's not following a set protocol. It's actually just asking the body how it wants to heal and letting the the body mind and spirit reorganize according to you know its unique wisdom mm -hmm. okay so are some of the things that we that we were listening to that you were talking about today are some of the things the reasons why our healthcare system is so broken is that 
a part of it is because some of the people don't understand the different processes for healing they don't use the natural energies are those some of the things that that are a part of it yeah i mean that's a very big conversation to have but i think you know western medicine has its place right if i am in a severe you know accident you know i want i want to be patched up right if i have you know a you know so there's there's value in that right and there are life-saving measures in western medicine no doubt um yet so many people become dependent upon western medicine um when they have an opportunity to resolve all the causative factors beneath the surface, right? Because Western medicine is just treating the tip of the iceberg, but the tip of the iceberg often can dissipate, melt, and dissolve if you address the underbelly, right? And so I often look at, you know, Western medicine as sick care, not really healthcare, and it's treating symptoms, suppressing symptoms, but it's not really helping the body express health. Okay. Um, and that's where healing helps the body locate and express health. Um, so they're, they're very different approaches and they can be compatible. Um, I think we, and we would, if we had more of a culture of healing, then we would need to depend on Western medicine less and less and more for just emergencies. Yes, yes, indeed. I can definitely understand that. So can you give us um, some more um, insight about Prisma? Sure, yeah. So, you know, Prisma encapsulates all the different components of healing that I gathered through my own journey, you know, unraveling a three-inch curve in my spine, resolving, you know, long-standing anxiety, depression, and chronic pain. So an eight-week course is the Trauma and Neuroscience Roadmap, which is kind of the owner's manual for mental, emotional, spiritual health. Okay. The seven pillars of my system are kind of the drop pins on that map that help you locate where you are on your healing journey. A lot of people are going through a lot of healing, but kind of blindfolded, not kind of really knowing where they're headed. Um, and that kind of helps map kind of a journey from pain to purpose. And then there's an online Slack community, which is the travel companions, because we are not meant to heal in isolation. So the community component where people can get direct feedback from me, but also peer support from the community. And then the guided meditations help people with the mindfulness and the somatic aspects of the course. Um, and that's guided by me, which is kind of like the GPS. So people aren't getting like, you know, stuck in dead ends or driving the wrong way down a one-way road. Um, and then the energy medicine component is like a monthly workshop where people develop an entire self-care uh, energy medicine practice. Um, and so people have nine months access. So they have a lot of time to kind of develop a whole new vocabulary develop a whole new skill set and tools and exercises um, to, yeah, really map entire arc of transformation and then develop a healing practice for life. Awesome. Awesome. So is this how you came into energy medicine through these um, experiences, these processes? 
Is this how you came into energy? I teach you everything from lived experience. Yeah, this is all the tools I used to heal myself. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Okay. So can you and give us a little more insight about um, the Institute of Noetic Sciences? How did you come to work with them? You broke up for a moment. The Institute of Noetic Sciences. Uh, yeah, I was just invited to give a speak at a local chapter when I lived in Montana. So I, I spoke about energy medicine when I was just getting my practice started. That was, yeah, many years ago now. Okay. <laughs> so how did it how did it work out for you? Was that a successful project for you? you um, well, yeah, it was just a talk and when I lived in a small community, and that's just how you know, it's mostly just through talking to the community that I've built my practice and it's all, you know, just building relationships and, you know, turning people on to new ideas and, you know, new tools. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I like that. So how, how does the um, leadership and healing process, how does that help with the with the journey that you're on right now, how does that um, fit into it? Um, yeah, I'm most compelled in making sure we're not perpetuating cycles of harm and roles of leadership and that we're not leading from a trauma response and that we're really using our platform as leaders to function as like vessels of healing. And so, um, and to find the fulfillment and purpose. So that's kind of, I think, where the, the bridge of healing kind of, yeah, is really important. Mm, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So can you give us some insight about the um, where you featured in the Elephant Journal and the Gay in America? Can you give us some insight about, about that? Because I was very interested in learning more about that. That's seems like something pretty big. <laughs> um, the Gay in America was a photographer who traveled across all 50 states and just did a kind of a photo journal of you know, queers, queer men throughout each state. Um, and I think that was just a really great project to, uh, around visibility and just kind of showing the, the different expressions of queerness um, from urban life to, you know, rural life and just, yeah, the, the full range of, yeah, the queer lived experience in America. Um, and Elephant Journal, I'm trying to remember back, I know I've been featured here and there. Uh, I, I, to be honest, I don't recall the article I wrote that was many years ago, but I think it was I think it was just like debunking some myths around healing and spirituality, um, which I think was kind of the foundation of kind of the trauma-informed lens that I work through, which is something you kind of touched upon earlier, just about, I think, in our world, we're expecting fast results. And, you know, there are no silver bullets when it comes to healing, but that's, I think, why we have such a dependence on medication, because we can often get a quick fix of symptomatic relief, which yeah. is very different from healing. Um, and so, um, you know, and so that's, but I think I was more bringing it through the lens of just a trauma-informed trauma informed approach to healing is um, really letting go of the force and effort 
because we, I think, muscle our way through so much of life. And although it does take a lot of commitment and heart to heal, um, it's a kind of reorientation to take our foot off the gas and yeah, let go of that death grip and kind of try to retrain the nervous system to more of a relaxed alert awareness, which can feel counterintuitive to the part of the brain that thinks we need to work hard to figure something out to fix what's broken. And so, um, yeah, if I recall correctly, the article I wrote was kind of a take on that and kind of a reorientation to how we show up to heal. Was that the article about the, the Breathe Network, where you wrote about um, trauma and informed healing? Was that about that? Um, that was much more in-depth workbook where I've yeah developed an entire workbook around trauma-informed touch for um, hands-on practitioners. Oh, awesome, awesome. So was that to basically help them have a, um, a map to how they went about the healing process? Um, teaching them how to work with trauma. A lot of healthcare practitioners are well ill-equipped to work with trauma. Um, that means a lot of re-traumatizing, you know, a lot of medical trauma um, by just not understanding the nuance of how to support people with trauma, particularly in a, in a healing, a therapeutic, or a medical setting. Okay. Cool, cool. That is, that is, that is impressive. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Definitely love it. Um, so I, you, you mentioned um, the spirituality. Is when you mention it, are you speaking of spirituality in a religious form or are you speaking other life form or is there another um, meaning for it when you speak about it? Yeah, neither. I, um, uh, my work is based on Advaita Vedanta philosophy, non-dualism, really a recognition that the personal soul is one and the same with the universal soul. Um, you know, working with energy medicine is really aligning to an understanding of universal life force energy that consciousness is all there is. And so aligning with that um, universal spirit, if you will, um, in Chinese medicine, the idea that the Shen or the light that shines through the eyes is the same light. Um, and so those are, yeah, some of the the perspectives I work with. All quite all right. I truly thank you for the time that you have spent with us and and I greatly appreciate it. Hopefully I can get you back on at another time. You definitely have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Peace and blessings, Greg. Peace and blessings. Thank, thank you. you. Amazing being here. Thank you for your time. Beautiful day. Thank you. Have a great day.